Father, be welcome here tonight. We love you. It's to you we sing. You are our God. You are our Father. We welcome you with praise. The praise of our lives. The praise of our hearts. Father, you are good to us. And Father, as we look into your word, speak to us and make us more like your son, Jesus. We are here for him. We are here for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, it's, it's happened to me before. I was actually having my wisdom teeth taken out, and uh, we were, I, was in the, I was in the dentist, and actually uh, a very close uh, relative of ours, as a matter of fact, was uh, a part of the experience because they worked in that office. And uh, it was interesting because what ended up happening uh, was that uh, they put me under, and uh, before I came completely back to, uh, knowing that I was a Baylor fan, they decided to drape some A&M paraphernalia on me and take some pictures. And when I uh, was at home recovering, it was actually over my birthday, Labor Day weekend, uh, I was presented with a present that I opened up only to find myself in this A&M regalia there in the chair. And, uh, you know, it was like everybody was in on it except me. And, uh, and, and, and I, was, I was, you know, I figured at that point you can either get bitter or better, and I'm still working on better. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that as we, you know, it's, it's, it's so, it's so funny, isn't it, that we can wind up getting, oh, I don't know, I mean, everybody else seeing it except us. And the it that we're going to talk about right now has to do with our pride. And the reason why I wanted to go there tonight is because we're about to jump into hack tomorrow. And here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that, um, that tomorrow's going to be a great day and it is going to be a selflessly a focused uh, just selfless uh commitment to to serving others physical needs and spiritual needs and just 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 being committed to that right and 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 I think that we we're going to do a great job of that tomorrow we really are we're going to be all over the place um I think the challenge for us to do that to live that out 365 uh comes down to what do we do with our pride because it's our pride isn't it that gets in the way of seeing what else is out there, of seeing the needs that are around us all the time, of meeting those needs daily, um, of stepping outside of ourselves. And sometimes it's just that one stumbling block of pride that is so very difficult, I think, for us to see. Um, tonight, my prayer is that God draws our attention to that which that can become so completely oblivious to us. And I think the only difference really in what we're talking about tonight and what you just saw on the video screen is that uh, we actually allow ourselves to be tricked into willfully putting on that pride-drenched uniform, right, of pride. I don't think that it's on our to-do list. I don't think that we wake up in the morning and think, you know what I want to do today? I want to be prideful. I mean, that's, that's really where I want to head out and be today. We, we don't think that, right? Uh, we don't set out to remove God from his rightful place in our lives. We don't intentionally give him, uh, you know, give him the finger and say, hey, you're, you do what you want to do and rule in the universe and I'm going to do what I want to do. No, we, we don't we don't go there. Right. But I think that it is more subtle. And I wanted to open up with a um, uh, with a with with a with a passage of scripture in first Peter five, five and five through eight. Uh, Peter wrote this on the subject. In the same way, you younger men, be subject to the elders. 
And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your care on him because he cares about you. Be serious. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. A couple of opening thoughts about this passage. One, um, we have an enemy. And he is actively working for our destruction. He is intimately aware of the tool that best works on the human race. As a matter of fact, it's the way that he fell. And it's what he introduced in the garden. And he's been amazingly successful with it ever since. And I would say that uh, that we are probably more susceptible to it than even a really great Groupon coupon. Right? I mean, Really? The temptations we face in this area are real, and yes, we are being set up every day. Just like the guy in the video, just like me in the dentist chair, we're set up. What do we do about it? I think the second thought that I had on this, just in the opening thoughts here of 1 Peter 5, is that humility doesn't just happen. Um, another translation of that verse has it this way, gird yourselves with humility. Uh, the word there that Peter uses for humility is the word ekombomba. Um, and what that Greek word is, it's actually a word that describes the white scarf or apron that, uh, that, that, that a slave or a servant would wear. You think that maybe, just maybe, when Peter was writing 1 Peter 5, he was thinking about Jesus putting that scarf on himself or that apron on himself and beginning that process of washing their feet. I mean, that was the ultimate, right, in service, in humility. Jesus, the Son of God, humbly humbling himself by doing the filthiest job of the day, washing the disciples' feet. We're going to get we're going to get all dirty tomorrow in many different ways, you know, with with shovels, planting flowers, you know, playing with kids that, you know, have have come out to be at the carnival and, you know, getting sweaty and, uh, you know, just, you know, being being the hands and feet of Jesus. And I think sometimes what we end up doing is we end up forgetting that that physical aspect of that really is to be turned into something supernaturally spiritual about who we are that it becomes a willful, willing attitude deep inside of our hearts. I don't know if you've won all the battles with pride this week. I have not. Um, I would suspect that um, we can all do better. Uh, But we don't do better because we just roll up our sleeves and go, I'm going to be better at this. Because it's not about in our own power, is it? Uh, as a Christ follower, I was, you know, I, 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 here's uh, interesting. I, I was I was studying some examples about humility in the Bible a couple of years ago, and my 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 mind, my it kept going back to Moses. It just kept it just kept coming back to Moses. I mean, there, there are a lot of great examples of humility, and certainly Christ, the ultimate example. Uh, but but here's a guy, Moses. You know, I mean, baby in the basket. You know, burning bush. You know, part the part the sea, Charlton Heston, that guy, right? And it's in and it's in that guy that we read this description. You ready? In Numbers twelve three, Moses was a very humble man, more so than any man on the face of the earth. Wow, can you imagine? Can you imagine having that be your description? In, in that verse, the word humble comes from this 
Hebrew word anav, which means to be bowed down, humble, meek, devotely dependent on God. What a statement. You know, but where's the proof? I mean, that's what that's what number says about him. Well, let's unpack a little bit of Moses life. I mean, he lived 40 years, a life of luxury. He was raised in an Egyptian court. He received the best education. He was, according to tradition, to be the greatest military commander. Right. And he was really next in line, probably to become Pharaoh. And it's easy for us to think, well, there's a person right there on the inside, headed to the top that God can use. I mean, look at his life. Wow. And then and then chapter two of Exodus happens. And Moses sees an Egyptian beating up a Hebrew and he intervenes and he takes matters into his own hands and he kills the Egyptian and buries him in the sandbox. All the while, Frank Sinatra is singing in the background, I did it my way. Because that's what Moses' theme was in that moment. And it was pride. I'm going to be the savior of my people. So God sends him on this 40-year vacation to Midian. And it's a dry and desolate land where now he moves from prince to what? To shepherd. He's been leading armies, now promising a career in Egyptian politics. Now he's shepherding his father-in-law's flock of sheep. And it's in this next 40 year span of time that Moses experiences real brokenness. And there's a moment that is key that happens to Moses. And it's at that moment when the bush catches fire in chapter three and God says, Moses, Moses, listen, take off your flip flops. You are on holy ground, Moses. And in this encounter with God, Moses is called to deliver his people. And what Moses doesn't say is, well, it's about time, God. I mean, I've been hanging out here for a while. I mean, I had quite a resume, you know. I mean, I was ready to do it a long time ago. I mean, I don't know why it's taken you so long to figure out who I am and that I am more capable of doing this job than anybody else. Now, actually, his response was, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Over those 40 years in the desert, Moses had been learning something. It is in that moment that God reminded Moses to the I am versus the I am not principle. You've heard it. You've sung it. We've sung it in here. It's in that moment. And a matter of fact, it's not on the screen, but I want to read it. It's verse 11 of chapter 3. And it says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? And what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to me. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. What was God saying there to Moses? God is saying, it's not about you, Moses. Here's your job. You keep quoting to yourself, I am not, I am not, I am not. And you march to the voice of I am. And Moses, that should bring great comfort to you. Because here's the truth. Moses came to God in his brokenness. He met God halfway. And you know what? In that meeting with God, Moses exemplified this sense of inadequacy. And God said, that is good. Now, the one who is at work in you is going to accomplish a great work through you. 
And you, because you have moved from pride to brokenness to humility. And in that humility, Moses, I'm going to be glorified. The burning bush was an, was a, was a major moment in Moses' life. And it was that first step in humility that, that Moses took, recognizing that it wasn't all about him. Recognizing that we are not the center or the God of our universe or anybody else's. You know, it's okay, I think, for new, newborns to think that. I mean, we've lived 12 years where newborns have been in our house at some stage. And, you know, it is all about them. Whenever there's a huge need, right, like a diaper needs to be changed or they need to be fed, you know what they don't do? Um, Mom, Dad, listen, there's an issue here. But really, I just want you to chill, enjoy that peace and quiet. And whenever you get around to it, come on. But I'll just wait. No, they let you know. They let you know what's going on because at the very center, at the core of their universe, it is them. You know, humility is recognizing that he is God and we are not. And that as adults, we recognize, you know, we're not infants anymore. I, I, I want to I I jump into a little bit more of where Moses was in his heart. And it's in a kind of a unique place. It's actually not in Exodus. It's actually in the Psalms. Uh, because there's actually a psalm that Moses wrote. And it's this particular psalm that uh, in uh, Psalm 90 that we have this bit of Moses' personal journal. It's, it's a poem. It's actually one of the oldest poems known to man. It's the oldest psalm in the Bible. And it's the only one that's attributed to Moses. Most theologians believe that this was actually written in Moses' journal toward the tail end of his life. And this poem, I believe, gives us some critical elements to understanding living a life of humility. Moving beyond hack and living out a selfless life. 365. I think first, Moses remembered I am. Just at the bush, we also see that in Psalm 90, verse 1 and 2. Will you read it with me? Let's look. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. He's saying, God, I recognize who you are. I recognize who you, where your position is. Now, here's, here's, here's what I'm going to try to do this week, right? I'm going to try to wake up every morning and just recognize verbally that he's God and I'm not. I, I think what that does for us is it puts us in this moment of adoration to say, you know what? The universe really doesn't revolve around me. And no, I would never make that statement, but I act like it a lot. Number two, he remembered I'm not. Psalm 98, you have set our unjust ways before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. He's saying to God, God, I realize that you see my junk and I've got a lot of junk going on here. I've got a lot of places where I've messed up and I see I, I realize you see that, God. And I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be hardened by sin. I, I don't want to be a spiritual leper. You know, leprosy, where the, 
the endings, your nerve endings actually die. And so then people would wind up hurting themselves and they wouldn't feel the cut or the scrape. And then as a result of that, infection would set in and then they would ultimately begin to lose those appendages. And, and, and that's how the leprosy would be moving throughout a person's body. Through the infection that would set in. Why? That started with a numbness. It started with an inability to see. It started with sitting in the dental chair, being oblivious to what's going on around me. As Christ followers, I think the question in number two is, am I willing to allow my heart to daily be broken in the same way that his is? Am I going to say to God, God, break my heart for what breaks yours? Whether it's in a world out there or whether it's in my world right here. I think number three, not only is it this state of adoration and confession and repentance, but Moses also speaks this in verse 16. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. (laughs) He is remembering to say thanks. That we keep on remembering where you've been and what you've done and what you've brought us through, God. That we don't ever forget what you're about. And what you've been about. It's living the day with a grateful heart. You, you, you want to punch pride in the gut. Live a life of gratefulness. I think it's connecting the dots. I think it's connecting dot A with dot B. What our experience is with where God is at work. And recognizing He is here among us. And it's not by accident or coincidence or happenstance. But God is here and He is doing amazing things. I had a friend show up unexpected uh, yesterday at our house, and we spent a couple hours together. And at the end of that conversation, he just encouraged me, and he just he just said, wow, you know, what a blessing of where God has brought you and where he is right now and what, what he's up to and what, and you know, it was just, it was just so affirming, but it was also a good reminder for me to keep going back to God with thanksgiving. What an amazing church God's brought us into. What an amazing staff he allows us to be a part of. What amazing friendships that we get to have here. And, 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 and God, even through that two hour period of time said, Hey, you know what? Just, just make sure that you stay Grateful for um, Moses. Remember to let go. Look at verse 13. Lord, how long turn and have compassion on your servants? I think what Moses was doing there was he was getting his eyes off of himself and placing concern unto others about and for others and taking that to God. He was letting that go. And that's really important because I think sometimes what we do is right. We kind of own the situation. We've talked about that before. And, and and we get real worked up about it because, you know, we we try to fix it and then it doesn't go real well. And so we get worried and anxious and and all of a sudden we realize we've tried an awful lot of things in our own power, but we haven't let go. And I think in, in this very simple part of the verse, we find Moses letting go. And it's in that moment that he recognizes and admits his dependence on a God that has to come through. Are we interceding on behalf of others? When we are, we give pride another sucker punch to the gut. Two more. He remembered to be anchored by hope. 
Psalm 90, 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad. How long? All our days. What's Moses' focus here? You know, his he was centered on his desire for the Israelites to what? To experience the promised land. Right. I mean, that was the that was the hope That's he was. He was looking forward to that. Our ultimate hope is realized where in the cross. Martin Lloyd Jones wrote the following about the surest way to pursue humility. He wrote this. There is only one thing I know of that crushes me to the ground and humiliates me to the dust. And that is to look at the son of God and especially contemplate the cross. How do we contemplate the cross? Is it just by wearing it around our neck? Is it by hanging it above the doorway whenever we walk into our house? Um, I, I, I don't know, but I, I do know this. It's, it's, it's in remembering the cross that I am humbled because God was there for me. That I should have been there. That's it, one more. <laughs> Um, and this is actually found in Mo- Moses' poem here, but also in the First Peter passage. And it's this plurality. It's it's that he's not just speaking in singular voice here. Check this out. Um, uh, well, well, we'll get some specifics there in just a second. But uh, but M- Moses throughout the the psalm, it, it's it's our, it's we, it's us. I wonder if I wonder if Moses maybe got that a little bit from his father-in-law. Remember that encounter with Jethro? Let's look at that. Uh, Exodus 18. He has this encounter with his father-in-law, and, and Jethro was rejoicing over all the good things that God had done, and the ways that God had used Moses and what had happened with the Israelites. And uh, and then we get to verse 13. It says the next day Moses sat down to judge the people, and they stood around Moses from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw everything he was doing for them, he asked. What is, it, what is this thing you're doing for the people? Why are you alone sitting as judge while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? What, are you, what you're doing is not good, Moses' father-in-law said to him. You will certainly wear out both yourself and these people who are with you because the task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you some advice. And God be with you. You be the one to represent the people before God and bring their cares to him. Instruct them about the statutes and laws and teach them the way to live and what they must do. But you should select from all the people able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, and hating bribes. Place them over the people as commanders. How many men is he supposed to select? Well, check this out. Leaders that are going to lead thousands. Leaders that are going to lead hundreds. Leaders that are going to lead fifties. Leaders that are going to lead tens. Was Moses saying, hey, you need at least one more buddy? No. No. He was saying, you need a room full of buddies. You need a massive amount of buddies. You need, you need to, you need to expand. And Moses got it. Moses listened, verse 24, to his father-in-law and did everything he said. And Moses realized it's a team sport. And so it makes sense that in his love poem back to God, it wasn't singularly focused. It was plural. Because he realized he hadn't been doing it alone. His relationship with God was interconnected with others who were along the journey as well. Recruitment weekend. We've got these bracelets in the seats. What, what's that all about next week? And it says Rock Point Superstar, right? It's Superhero Superstar Weekend, okay? And, and so the, the whole focus of the weekend is 
hey, we want you to think through where God might have you on the team because you don't have to have a cape to be a superhero. And it feeds right into this point. It's what Moses understood. It's what Jethro understood, that it's about us all saying, we're going to be there. We're going to do it. We're going to own this. God's going to work through us. We're going to find our place. Uh, the, the first Peter passage has this plurality to it, too. Um, it, it infers that this life is lived in relation with others. If you go back to the passage that we looked at in the beginning, first Peter five, five through eight words of our and we and us and everything about the passage speaks to the truth that we are designed to grow in Christ likeness within relationships. That's why we spend so much time speaking about small groups here, why we spend so much time about finding your place of service, why even whenever you go through membership at the very end of it all, at the end of the membership class, we have a spot at the end that says, OK, where do you want to roll up your sleeves? Because let's go. Let's do this thing together because that's the way God designed it. So why would we not set that up as the way that we're going to do it? There's all kind of reminders in the Bible about this. We call them the one another's, right? I mean, it's like accept one another, admonish one another, bear one another's burdens, bear with one another, build one another up, care for one another, comfort one another, confess faults to one another, be devoted to one another. There's a lot of them. Encourage one another, forgive one another, greet one another, be honest with one another, honor one another, be hospitable, hospitable to one another. Say that fast three times. Be kind to one another, love one another, pray for one another, be of the same mind with one another, serve one another, spur one another on, submit to one another. Do you think God was trying to make a point? I don't find him saying, do this by yourself. And I also don't find him looking at the church and going, hey, hey I got a great idea. Why don't we have 20% of the people doing 80% of the work? That'd be really cool. That, that verse does not exist. God intends our growth in humility to be a team sport so that other people can speak into our lives and help us find the blind spots. That guy sitting on the couch with the spoon hitting on his head needed somebody clued in saying, this guy is messing with you. You've got a headache here because you're not in on it. Ephesians 4.29, no foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Hebrews 3.13, but encourage each other daily while it is called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. C.J. Mahoney writes this. Do you have faith enough to know that by God's grace, he'll give those closest to you important insights into your soul that you don't perceive on your own? Here's the question. How do we spend the 25,000 or so words that we speak in a day? I mean, for women, 40,000, but that's beside the point. How, how, do we, how do we spend those words? Are we encouraging and edifying others? Are we in relationship with one another, helping us sucker punch pride? Because on the flip side of that, you know how we use our words? Proverbs says destructive words are the fruit of pride and the revealer of a prideful heart. Have you given license to somebody else in your life telling you when you're stupid? That's what I used to tell students all the time when I'd speak to them. Who's, who's been given the license to do that in your life? And are we speaking the truth in love? 
And, and I know sometimes it's like, you know, we, we, we think, well, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, but I don't see where it's going sometimes. And I get that. I mean, we have kids, right? You, 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 you affirm them uh, for doing their best even when the team loses. You encourage them whenever their feelings get hurt by a friend. You know, you, you support them and, and challenge them to do their best even when they're tired or they're unmotivated. And, and in those moments, you know what I never hear? Really, I never hear why. Thank you, Father, for those life giving words of encouragement and support. No, you know, I, I don't hear that. But I do know this. I know that what God's called me to do is to trust him. To trust him with my words and to trust him with the rest, wherever it lands. And, and, and I think if, if we want to really argue with God on this, you know, about this principle, I think we have to take it up with him because he set it up that way. Humility in us grows as we do the walk together. I, 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 I was really struggling with pride a couple of years ago. Not that that battle is not ongoing and I, I lost battles this week in it, you know, today in it, but, uh, I was really struggling with it a couple of years ago in a pretty significant way, and um, and I had and I had some people and I wasn't letting people speak into my life on it. I just wasn't, and a couple of people would. I wouldn't listen to them, and and finally, you know, there was one person in particular who asked me some tough questions, and I and I didn't want to listen at first, but over time they sunk in, and and I think it took time because I was just stinking blind, <laughs> because we 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 miss it. We, 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 we miss it. Just like getting whacked over the head with a spoon or, or, or wearing the, the, the opposing team's jersey. And we just, we just miss it. And when we are blinded by pride, we are incapable of being and doing who we were designed to be and what we were designed to do. But what, what about this do you see? I hope what your eye was drawn to is the flowers. Right. I mean, you know, the the vase is here, but really the vase is doing what it was designed to do to show off the flowers. It's funny. I bought these at Target and and the lady who 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 I I bought them from. If your guy buys flowers at Target, you know, they're always like, oh, that's really sweet. You know, but then this 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 one lady walked by and she goes, well, I didn't know we had anything pretty like that in the store. You're a good spokesperson for Target. <laughs> uh, just a thought. Uh, okay, so a couple verses, right? <laughs> it's funny. Colossians one twenty seven. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Second Corinthians four five. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Christ. I'm not proclaiming myself. I'm proclaiming Christ as Lord and ourselves as slaves because of Jesus. For God said, let light shine out of darkness as shine our, our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We're we're designed to show him off. We're designed to sit on the table in this world and let people see God through us. And that's going to happen tomorrow. And I hope that when you go home and when I go home tonight, that's what our kids see. Is they see God shooting up out of our lives. 
That at the end of the day, it's not that, wow, I just had a really cool mom and dad or a really great grandma or grandpa or whatever. But no, I saw Jesus in them. Right. And I think what happens is we we end up looking at this particular vase and we go, oh, wow. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's a that's a that's a nice vase. But. um, Too often our vase looks like this. Too often what happens is the glory of God is not shining through us because pride has allowed us to get sharp. And we get close to people in our lives and they get cut. And our lives become a source of destruction. Instead of a source of peace. And instead of the healing that God wants to bring. People get cut around us. And we don't intend to. I mean, we're trying to show God off, but it's just so hard. I think that what happens is we start off in the day with such great intentions. We start off in the week with such great intentions. But the truth is, pride is a vicious thing. And it slices us all up. And it slices people around us up. And the crazy part about it is, too often we're just oblivious. I've been there. What about you? Will you bow your heads with me for a moment? God, I don't know what it is that you are saying to each person in the room, but I know for me, you just reminded me again that it's all about you. And it's not about me. That it's about what you're up to. And that when I try to do this life on my own, I just wind up making a mess. And I don't show you off like I was designed to. God, forgive me. What was it that God spoke to you about tonight. I think we have an opportunity. I think we have an opportunity to let the enemy either continue to make a fool of us in our pride or to with God's mercy and grace and forgiveness come to him and say I don't want tomorrow to be the exception. I want it to just be a mirror of who I am. Maybe in the stillness of this moment, what God's spoken to you about was um, eternity. Maybe that God, you recognize that he's got a place for you and his family in His kingdom, in heaven. And you've not taken steps to move in His direction. It's a pretty simple step, actually. It's a step of receiving a gift. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace we have been saved through faith that none of ourselves. It is the gift of God. And maybe tonight, 
more than anything else, what you need to do is to receive that gift. To trust Him as Savior and Lord. To start a brand new relationship with Him that will last now and forever. That gives you, as John 10.10 describes, a life to the full. It's not a special formula. It's just us saying something like this. Jesus, I know you died on the cross for me and you rose again to save those separated from you in sin. And God, I pray you forgive me of my sin. By faith, I receive you as my savior, as my Lord, as my friend. Change my life. Make me new. God, I want to live for you. If that's where you are today, we'd love to visit. I'll be here at the end of the service. Be in the hall hanging out up at the front of the stage. But maybe where you are is just needing to visit a little bit with God. Maybe the last day or week or month or year or I don't know how long has been more about your agenda than his. I'm afraid sometimes we can fool ourselves into thinking we're back on his agenda with one little moment where we mow some grass or plant a flower. The question is, is my life in your direction, God? Is it showing you off? Look up at the screen one more time. Exodus thirty-three, fifteen. We have this dialogue between Moses and God. Moses responded to him. Don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor in your sight unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And then Moses said, please, let me see your glory. I think some of us in the room, me included, just need to bow and say, God, show me your glory. God, it's all about you. Remind me tonight and tomorrow morning and the next day and the next day that you are God and I am not. And I am the vase. And I'm designed to show you off. So we've got an extended time of worship. Several songs designed to set the stage for us to just connect with God. And whether it's communion, an act of giving, bowing a knee, making the front of this stage an altar, finding somebody else in the room to pray with. The invitation is here to just allow God's Spirit to speak, to be still, and to listen. God, we're listening to you. Thanks for this moment. Thanks for reminding us who you are, who we're not, Speak to us, God, now in the stillness of this time.